0: before the existence of written records human systematized combat from prehistory and into the modern day martial arts have been a part of the fabric of culture and civilization whether as a means of self-protection or to wage war or to compete or to preserve a tradition or to touch personal greatness these codified methods push us to ask questions to explore to express to test and to tell stories This is Jamie Club's podcast, the official podcast of Club Chimera Martial Art, where we take the path of the vagabond warrior to find knowledge and inspiration from people, events, and ideas. If you are interested in where to follow Jamie Club and Club Chimera products and services, please wait until the end of the show. In the meantime, if you think this product is worth the price of a cup of coffee, please click on Support the Show in this episode's show notes.
1: On this episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Gabrielle Schneider, a leader in human-based risk management and the psychology of risk. He's a serial entrepreneur and has been running his own businesses since 2001. He was recently listed as one of only 20 global influencers in security thought leadership for 2019 and 2020, as well as being awarded the Risk Consultant of the Year 2019, RMIA. He has conducted business in over 17 countries and provided a wide range of services for a very diverse client base, ranging from heads of state to school teachers. He holds numerous trainer educational and coaching qualifications and has been a martial arts full contact champion. He has a 7th degree black belt and has been an instructor to royalty protection teams, presidential protection teams and military and police special units was inducted into the south african martial arts hall of fame 2004 was a former member of the south african full contact taekwondo team 1995 to 1998 was a coach to the south african muay thai team competing in the third king's cup in bangkok thailand black belt middleweight full contact champion in the dsjj world full contact championships held in israel in 2000 An advanced black belt fifth degree and up silver medal winner of the dssj world full contact championships held in israel in 2007 he was inducted into the official museum of martial arts history in israel 2010 Gavriel is the founder of the concept of resilience which we'll be discussing quite a bit on this show and the author of can i see your hands and beyond the bodyguard Hello, Dr. Gabriel Schneider, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jamie. This is our new year, uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, uh, beginning of 2022 show, and I couldn't think of a better person to start that off with. So first of all, Gav, I'd just like to talk a little bit about what the, the unusual circumstances that brought us together for this interview your father was a budding journalist I think back in the 1960s a budding writer in the 1960s and, and visited my grandparents show and became friends with my mum they became very reunited as pen pals I think oh probably about 10 years ago now so it's been been uh, you know almost half a century after you know they met in South Africa they remain good pen pal friends ever since then and of course it came up the fact that you have been involved in martial arts and obviously in security and risk management and bodyguarding and you very kindly sent me a copy of your book beyond the bodyguard which is excellent and then later on i attended a seminar a webinar should we say of one of your instructors uh, joe saunders he was doing very well with his own podcast and i didn't realize he was one of your instructors and he mentioned you dropped your name obviously uh early on in it and i so i spent the entire webinar trying to concentrate on joe's thing going i've got to talk to joe about the connection with you again. And so it was great yes i love joe's stuff and uh and i was chatting to your dad because obviously um the sad passing of my mum. We we're in dis- uh, some discussions with your dad and i just thought well 2021 was the year i did all my interview shows prior to that i had done one or two interviews with other people and 2021 uh, was the year when i decided i'm going to start in interviewing people who I'd really like to have on my show. Uh, and I, but that can't kind of stop then, uh, especially when my mum passed. I just wanted to you know get back into doing something else, and it was sort of a stop point. But then I thought, what a perfect way to end twenty twenty one begin twenty twenty two with finally having a chat with you, which is actually the first time we've actually spoken in person, if you can call <laughs> speaking over the internet um, from the u k to Australia as in person. yeah sorry, that's sort of, that, that's my long ramble into that connection. So how are you and how are things in Australia?
2: <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting, Jamie uh. Yeah, I guess your your summary of history is a useful starting point. And uh, <laughs> it's sometimes funny how serendipitously people align, get the opportunity to talk. You know, when you send through your bio and your CV and your experience, and I was looking at this just going, oh, wow, this guy's done a lot. You know, you've trained with a lot of people, done a lot of different things, hopped through a lot of different systems and, you know, had a lot of different experiences. So it, it actually was, you know, what started out as a favor for my father turned into, hey, I'd actually like to talk to you. You seem like somebody who's walked the walk and, you know, had a lot of experience yourself. And as as you well know, you know, I think there's this interesting intersection between security, martial arts, life, decision-making, behavior, conduct. I think, you know, just a little chat we were having before we started around ethics and, you know, the way some people behave in the martial arts world. It's an interesting kind of position and place we find ourselves in. So, yeah, from my side, thanks for the opportunity to have a chat. The UK well and truly moved forward after COVID. Australia is still a little bit further behind. And, you know, I do hope I actually am planning a trip to the UK at some point next year, which will be nice. Oh,
0: but brilliant.
2: Uh, it's an interesting time. You know, even if I look at the martial arts side of it and the school we're running, we're still bombarded with COVID safe protocols and we risk getting shut down all the time. And from a business perspective, we're limited. You know, the business that I've built now is really more Australian-centric. Where my mm-hmm. first one focused in Africa and Asia and pretty much in you know, all the places you don't want to go on holiday. Which yeah. we, we, we spend <laughs> most of our time working. But yeah. the inability to travel from state to state in Australia is a significant problem now for our business. Mm-hmm. But as we were discussing before... I think the benefits of being able to have these chats over Zoom and connect with people in ways we haven't because we always had this perception that we needed to catch up with people face to face and build trust before we could interact. And I kind of take this engagement and go, well, we've known each other about 20 minutes, but I kind of feel like I
1: know you already. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think I've got to thank, uh, let's say, yeah, your dad, my mum for that, probably. <laughs> so in some of that, some of the background of that. So that, that's great. And also, obviously, our connection with martial arts, obviously, a language bridge. Well, I think so. And
2: I think, you know, that's one of those pieces. I love it when people are able to transcend this notion of style system or the limitations of, you know, my approach is better than your approach. And just <laughs> honestly look at, you know, more where are the similarities? Because mm-hmm. you know, if we if we talk martial arts first, and then I'm sure we can morph this into, you know, yeah, what we're yeah, doing in yeah. resilience and risk and all of yeah. those pieces. You know, people have been beating each other up probably since you know the day that the day that there were people. Yeah. So there's not that much new in the space, even though we keep seeing the new secret system or the new deadly technique. Yeah. You know, there's very little new under the sun when it comes to that stuff. But I think the way we portray it, explain it, uh, motivate it in an era, and and this is the challenge. You know, we're not living in a warrior era. We're not living in an era where the ability to fight and the ability to protect are the primary drivers for status in society or importance for how people perceive you. And it makes it more challenging for people who, who do have that you know
1: sheepdog warrior driving it we seem to be in a period now i mean i'm you know i often have to make myself aware of bubbles because you can get involved let say connected with lots of like-minded people like yourself where we're all talking and it's like well everything's great in the martial arts world you know we've all transcended styles now we've moved on we're all we're all accepted of different ideas and all this sort of thing and then suddenly we look out so I go, oh oh sorry some of you guys are still doing this actually it's most of you guys are still stuck in this tribalism thing but yeah as you say it's just a wonderful benefit there is definitely a lot more communication between different people and it's wonderful to find when you've got different people who have completely different unconnected lives And yet that they come to the similar conclusions, you know, you get this sort of, uh, I I love this sort of convergent evolution that you sometimes get. Uh, But it's not to say also that I often find when I have interviewed or trained with different instructors where some of them are very set in their ways and they'll tell you they're not. And they'll tell you that everyone else's style is great or or I respect all these other styles. And, but they're really trying to say like, but what I'm doing is actually the best. I, I hope I'm getting to a sort of stage when I'm going, you know, that there are multiple different ways of doing things. Sometimes those ways might be ways that I'm not going to go towards, but I don't think that that way is inferior to the way that I've chosen. It's just preferential for certain people in that context because that was just a big issue that I used to find with situational awareness. Situational awareness will be different in... Chipping Norton Cotswolds UK than it's going to ever be in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can ground down some basic principles, and obviously that's what we're looking for all the time. We wanna, we definitely want something that's gonna transcend its different places, but there has to be this big appreciation that the different contexts, different people, different times, different eras often dictate differing tactics. And I really hope that a lot of that comes out when people cross-train. Well, to your point there, and I think this is the, the interesting piece, which
2: transcends, doesn't really matter whether we're talking martial arts, security, close protection, risk management, or even just business, which is kind of how our conversation started. We were talking about yeah. your business and a bit about my business. But you know, realistically, the questions I always like to, to take into account is, you know, if somebody says what I'm doing is the best, the question for me then is best for who, when, for what and why? Yes. And maybe they are, right. maybe their thing is the best, but it might only be the best for this very small convergence of variables. And, and this is where I think in martial arts, we often miss the point of risk management as an example. You know, in risk management, we like to think a lot about likelihood and consequence. We like to go, how, how, how probable is something going to be? And if it happens, how do I mitigate it, manage it? Or how can I prevent it full stop? And to your point earlier, I think this is one of those pieces, you know, at the the end of the day, if we are looking at being successful, regardless of what vocation it is, we all have to have some sort of differentiator. You have to have something that people will go, you are good at X. And I think the conundrum now is nobody can be an expert at everything, but I do think we're moving to an era. And it's funny, you mentioned the term convergence. I see this in many different aspects. Uh, we just finished actually recently through one of our subsidiaries, the Australian Security Research Centre. We did a study into the Australian security industry, and it's the largest study that's ever been done. And this concept of, you know, convergence kept coming up. And yes. we're going, okay, well, what do you mean by that? You know, if we look at modern MMA, modern MMA is convergence, right? We've yes. we've integrated wrestling and grappling and, you know, all these other variables. And MMA, I'm am a I'm a huge fan. I fought in the very first Pride event they had in Africa, but mm-hmm. it's not self-defence nor is it something that's practical and reasonable for the majority of people to do. So, you know, you could be the best MMA practitioner in the world and be an abysmal self defense practitioner or potentially a pretty poor teacher because, you know, you then assume everybody's as tough, as fit, you know, as capable as you are and the, the hard lesson. And I think we'll free flow a lot with what we talk about Okay. For me, and I spoke about it, you know, I penned it when I, when I wrote my book, Can I See Your Hands? Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, you know, we always have these points in our lives where things change and you yes. view the world differently. And, you know, I've been blessed to have many great teachers. But probably in my early 20s, I was working as a professional bodyguard. I was in my weight division in the black belt for contact middleweight division. I was a champion in the style of jiu-jitsu I trained in in Israel. He uh, mm-hmm. do jiu-jitsu. I was running my martial arts schools. I was training special units. And as you mentioned, South Africa is an interesting and dangerous place. And one night I had a phone call. It was my mother. She was on the way to the hospital. And my stepfather had been shot in the head and attempted carjacking. And I grabbed my go bag, which, you know, South Africa being a different context, you know, I had my firearm in spare magazines, tactical first aid kit, torch, you know, all the things you need. <laughs> Rushed to the site. Got there, there were two guys looting the car. I drew, drew my firearm. I had it, I had my finger on the trigger, pointing at both them. Yay, close to shooting them both, and it turns out they were two cops who were actually oh. looting the car. <laughs> I mean, that's oh, what yeah, happens yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, n- not 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 too long after, I realised there's nothing I could do at the scene. You know, everything had been done. Went to the yeah. hospital. My my stepfather passed away a few hours later, and it was one of those epic shocks for me. Not not the loss, the fact that. Uh, with all the knowledge and skills and capability I had, I was absolutely useless when it came to protecting the people that mattered to me. And it's changed the way I think about this stuff because, you know, a lot of times we think, how good can I be? Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. It's a, it's a noble cause. But if mm-hmm. you can't teach the fundamental skills to the people you care about to keep themselves safe, mm-hmm. we're kind of missing the point of this yeah. whole idea of you know warrior and what yes. we're trying to do and you know from, from literally for I always loved teaching Yeah, you know, I started teaching when I was 14 and it became a natural thing for me but it it focused my business orientation significantly and it changed my perception away from uh, you know at that point all, all I wanted to do was train with fighters train with special units you mm. know the tougher the people the better and And it kind of just changed that narrative to go, actually, the bigger challenge is how can you take somebody who's got no physical capability, got limitations, got Mm -hmm. no warrior attributes, but is exposed to potential crime, violence, and danger, and give them things that will keep them safe or help them, you know, lead a healthier, safer life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, that is a much harder challenge than taking athletes and getting athletes to perform at a a slightly higher level.
1: This is why I love a service-driven approach. This is what I loved about PTs. I liked being able to say to somebody, what do you want when you come to me for training? And obviously, as a teacher, you've also got to obviously give people what they need and you've got to be realistic and rational about that but you've got to try and get to the the core of because somebody will come to me and they'll go uh, okay well I want self-defense and much they don't what they want is they want a kickboxing lesson they want a grappling lesson they want an MMA lesson okay if you're going to do a self-protection lesson we're going to have to do the soft skills work and I'm not going to give that lip service we're going to be doing exercises that look at situational awareness we're going to discuss what situational awareness is I'm going to do my best to replicate stress factors and I'm going to tell you about what a, a typical offender profile could be, um, you know, how victim selection is done. And that person might not really want that. They're going, look, no, no, I don't. I want to do this as an exercise. I want to do this as a, an activity. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's why I like to section these things off as services. You know, as so often when I teach self-protection course, I teach that as its own self-contained course but you should be able to teach average civilian that's making about 10 hours in you know, like a first aid course you know same things so they're both life-saving skills they need to be taught in a minimal length of time low maintenance skills that they're learning within that period of time then after that you can say well what's happening because obviously you're going to need to update those skills or you're going to need to do refresher courses with me that's fine but they'll be saying yeah but i enjoy the physical part of it because that's great let's do some boxing now the secret with cross training would be you then bring those skills back to your self protection. Well, rather you see how those skills enhance your self protection, but not add to them. You don't, you're not welding them on. So. Jiu jitsu, classic example of that. For me, you know, as you, you know, certainly BJJ, there's, it's such a sophisticated art in terms of the groundwork. Someone described it as if poetry and literature was a martial art, then BJJ would be Franz Kafka. It's like, a, <laughs> it's a huge puzzle and, a, and there's loads going on there. And it's great for the art for its sake. But the best stuff you will get out of that, in many respects, well, there's a lot of good things you get out of that. But it's more like positioning and being able to recover to get back to your feet. And it's the same like wrestling, you know, wrestling such a great art. But when a person comes back to doing self-protection after they've done a wrestling course for example it wouldn't be like well okay now you're going to put a suplex into your hard skills it wouldn't be anything like that it'd be more like okay you've now had experience working around fully resistant people who can grapple that's what that attribute that you've gained from that is from boxing yeah okay you've learned you know some of the most sophisticated punching that you can go now these guys they have phds in how to use their punches specifically Maybe none of those, none of that, certainly none of the combination work is going to transfer over into your self protection. But what you will have learned is far better body mechanics now for throwing a right footwork you learn that can might translate to tactical escape you know and even if it's different movements for your tactical escape you will have learned to now move around people and things like that so again it's the attributes that that you're gaining from these other systems rather than the specific skill set so again that and I often think that is what helps and I often think a lot of the time when you go into other disciplines it might not be another martial art it might be just something else it might be psychology psychology is a great trans- skill across to cell protection training and um, uh, again I don't teach security I've worked with security firms and things like that that's your area of expertise and from what I, I can see there's a lot of uh, criminology psychology are all can be all useful extra skills you're not going to necessarily weld those onto your training but having some background knowledge in those sort of areas uh, can enhance the experience um, from a uh, teaching and from risk management perspective I would imagine.
2: Kind of interesting I guess for me if I look at part of the learning and the evolution, I always felt, you know, I wanted to be among the best. I never felt I needed to be the best. Mm -hmm. And, you know, was just always feeling very blessed when I got to, you know, train with work with operate with in the different contexts, people who you'd look at and go, wow, that's incredible. But it it does come back to a few things. and And I guess it's also that perception of toughness. And it's interesting because I guess when, when I started martial arts, you have this perception of tough. Yes. And I started with ninjutsu and then got mm-hmm. into taekwondo because I was, you know, tall and skinny when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we did a, a full contact version of taekwondo, which I thought was quite tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, my primary ninjutsu teacher was a guy by the name of Vernon Rosenberg, who was a tactical law enforcement officer in South Africa. At 11 or 12 years old, he'd come you know, to the classes and he'd pull out his service weapon and he'd go, have a look here. And there'd be you know, pieces of flesh stuck in the slide and he'd go, well, I have an yeah. incident today. and you know, I jammed my gun in the guy's face. Look how well this technique worked. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, th- th- that, that was one perspective. But then I got to Israel and I became a living student of uh, Dennis Hanover. And I looked at those guys and I was like, wow, that is tough. Like That's a different story. Yeah. And then sort of came back and got into the world of bodyguarding and went, mm-hmm. wow, look at these guys. You know, they can go for three, four days, almost no sleep, uh, still perform really well, be able to make rational decisions. Then we started working with special forces. And I went, wow, these guys can not only, you know, do the physical, do the mental, but they can go for days without eating and do all these things. And, and then kind of through the evolution, you know, even in business, I, I found some of my toughest things have had to be when we've had to, for example, downsize. And mm-hmm. I've had to let people who are great people go because we couldn't afford to keep them. And that's a different type yeah. of tough. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that the challenge with this, and, you know, you talk about the intersection of attributes. Yes. For me as my career has gone on, I've really become fixated and focused on decision making. Mm-hmm.
0: Because
2: it started originally with the martial arts stuff and my PhD focused on, you know, best practice use of force training and decision making, but expanding that into business and running mm-hmm. organizations and even government and society, I've uh, been really lucky to have run a postgraduate program in the psychology of risk for the last six years. And we've just got to really look and try and understand if we think we are so good at decision-making, why do we see such bad decision-making around us all the time? Yes. And, you know, that transcends all aspects, whether it's, you know, martial arts, business life, personal life. You just see people make decisions that are realistically almost oppositionary to what a logical, unbiased decision should be. Mm -hmm. and 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 you got to wonder you kind of go well if we know better and we are so good at this decision making piece why do we consistently see so many bad decisions being made around us (laughs) and it it kind of cascaded up for me and I, i kind of constantly look at evolving these things so you know it's interesting that from a martial arts perspective Now, I was just really lucky that I got to train with so many different people. And, Mm. you know, I got to spend a few years full time just training and teaching, which not Mm. a lot of people get to do. Um, Yes. And, you know, when I was living in Israel, I was a living student there. So I was doing six to 12 hours a day with, Mm. you know, some of the toughest and best warriors Mm. around. And even there, you kind of go, that's brilliant. It's awesome for that context. Yes. But then going back to South Africa you're going the context is different yes you know the the personal threat was so much higher in south africa than in israel honestly south africa is way more dangerous than israel right But by by, by far but it's different yes in that there is a threat in israel but it's an organized structure you know there's a whole warrior society that's grown out of constant threat since 1948 in south africa it's much more personalized and, yeah. you know, that there's different machinations and ways of doing these things. And you can't always cut and paste something that works in one environment into the other just because it works in one.
0: Yes. And,
2: you know, you mentioned earlier the idea of principles. And I think mm. that, that that is so important. Now, if we can get these principles that are aligned to many different circumstances, yes. it enables you to perform in lots of different environments. And, you know, those are some of the things, for example, when we really started looking at training special forces soldiers, just an example, we had some really good contracts in and around Africa. Those for me are sometimes the the easiest ones to do because you get people who are already warriors. They're already physically tough. You you, you don't have to build those parts. You just need to give them the tools and then test them. But the challenge we had then, and you mentioned it earlier, linking back to the martial arts, you know, what became fascinating for me, so growing up in South Africa and training the way I did, it was always interesting because when I when I finally was able to travel around the world and, you know, you, you train with a world-class judoka and you go, wow, judo is the best thing. You know, you train with a boxer and you go, oh, my goodness, boxing is incredible. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you land up working with wrestlers and you go, oh, there's something in that Greco-Roman stuff like you mentioned <laughs> or yeah. BJJ and the list just goes on. And one of the things that I try to do early on was go, it doesn't really matter what system you're doing.
1: Yeah.
2: And, you know, people like Jeff Thompson and Gavin DeBeck and Dave Grossman and all these people that, you know, I've tried to cite and reference in my work. Uh, yeah. You know, we we, 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 we are in a very fortunate place because we, we get to stand on the shoulders of giants who've looked at this yeah. stuff before. But realistically, there are only certain ways that violence manifests if we're going to go that way. Yes. And if we are looking at real world violence. Then there's only a few things we need to remember to prepare for that. Yes. And we get so confused with, you know, this is what we do in the sport or this is what we do in a, in a system that's art centric. And, mm. you know, we try and morph those things back into realistic self protection.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Or reinvent violence. After, yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine, Ian, Ian, Abernethy, always talks about a lot of the big problems that you find with systems. Is that when people, when it doesn't make a perfect fit, what happens is is you get martial artists, um, or or even star protection people. I'm not, you know, yeah. a, the net. Let's go wide. They reinvent violence, and that, and that. I can see that very much coming from what you're just talking about there. When a person changes from one environment to another, we started with a
2: discussion around convergence, and you kind of go. What's the point of being, you know, let's say an incredible fighter if you have no basic online cyber safety capability or cyber security skills and people hack and steal your information, stealing your credit card information, et cetera, and you're still in the same position you would be if you were robbed face-to-face and they took all your cash, maybe worse. So, you know, I think this is one of those things that fascinates me uh, and drives me, to be honest. You know, I'm... If I, if I kind of look at where my career has gone and where it's going, because I think there's still a lot left, um, we've been working a lot on this idea of resilience. And it's mm-hmm. been an interesting evolution because, you know, martial arts is a really good example of resilience, right? We train mm-hmm. so hard for the fight we never, ever want to have. Yes. Uh, if, if, if you get the mindset right. Yes. The, the, the challenge we've got is, you know, if we look around us, the we still are faced with predators predators just act in lots of different ways. So, you know, that part is important, but the vast majority of people, unless you are living in a very high crime rate or high threat environment are impacted by, you know, social stress, financial stress, uh, you know, job stress, all these other things. And those are real challenges for them. You know, while there might not be life or death challenges that you face, you know, in South Africa or in uh, some of the other places we've worked,
1: they, they're they as could be or death in the long term, couldn't they? Well, <laughs> the this, is the, in-
2: but this yeah. is the interesting piece, right? One of the things that's blown my mind, look, you know, going from South Africa, Israel and, you know, Sierra Leone and Equatorial Guinea and these other places where I was working, that you come to Australia and a lot of people in first world countries are not happy, they are not fulfilled, they mm-hmm. struggle with their work, they're struggling with mental health. And, and you kind of look at that and you go, this is, this is an interesting challenge for us because it's actually the martial art of life. Yes. You know, we want to, we want to teach people to be successful in life, not just a great teacher on the mat or the best boxer or the best kickboxer. And it's that piece that I kind of feel we've lost a little bit in the martial arts side.
1: Yes. And,
2: you know, when people, and, and you are right, there is a big difference between, let's call it reality-based self-defense, MMA, martial arts. They are actually different, and they're different for different people. Yes. The the challenge we've got is, you know, when you intersect that with business and money, you mm-hmm. know, people people then have to go, well, I want you to come train with me, so I have to tell you that what I do is going to meet your need. Yes. So, you know, we might be doing the most traditional style of karate, but I'm going to tell you it's self-defense. Um, You know, you might, you might come and do MMA and I'm going to tell you that, you know, this will make you a better person.
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) And, 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 and the challenge we've got with this stuff is ultimately we are not, as we started off, we're not in a warrior era now. And it's taken me honestly, 40 years to realize that. Yeah. And, you know, having indoctrinated myself by spending so much time with warriors, in all their different vocations, law enforcement officers, soldiers, protectors, martial artists—it's it, fascinating to see how the vast majority of people don't get us because they—they they think there's something slightly wrong with yeah, somebody yeah. who would, you know, willingly let people punch him in the face just to just to <laughs> learn how to not get punched in the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and the challenge we've got with this is you know, the the world is changing so quickly and we're so hyper-connected in the modern era Mm -hmm. that we actually need to look at how we develop physical skills that lead to mental skills that intersect and create good decision-making and behaviours. And, you know, this has kind of been the interesting link for me. uh, My my PhD was in criminology, but (laughs) teaching psychology of risk now for the last while and then running a risk consulting business, it's been fascinating to see uh, and there was a really good term. I'm not sure who coined it in the world of security. They, they spoke about the idea of security theater. You know, mm-hmm. we, we pretend we do things that make people feel safe. Mm-hmm. You know, I see that in martial arts all the time. I'm sure yeah. you do too. Yes. Oh, come and learn this technique. And if you learn that technique, you'll be able to deal with any situation. Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. And, and you sort of go, if there really was one technique like that, why have people like me and you wasted our lives? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that transitions a bit further because if there really was one methodology to make money or one methodology to be happy,
1: yeah, surely we would all just do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It would have worked
2: it out a long time ago. (laughs) Absolutely. So part of the challenge we've got now is, you know, how do we teach people to thrive and cope with change, which, Mm -hmm. you know, humans are not wired to deal with change, but if you think about martial arts, what a great opportunity to teach people to deal with change. You know, yeah. they, they learn how to deal with adrenaline. They learn how to deal with things that make them uncomfortable. They have to mm-hmm. work with different bodies and different sizes. If we yeah. if we're doing a good job at reality based self defense, we've got the element of surprise and adrenal dump coming into play yes. when we do things. Yes. And you know, the challenge we've got now is how do we translate those two worlds in a way that's meaningful for people? Yeah. And yeah. it's it's not easy. You know, I look if if you haven't looked at David Grossman's work
1: Yes, um, I have. Yeah,
2: yeah, plenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The, just the idea
2: of sheep dogs. And yeah. you know, I kind of look at it and I, I like to think about it like this. Yeah. Having spent a bit of time with David and being honored that he wrote the foreword for my book, yeah. uh, he spends his life trying to teach sheep dogs to be better sheep dogs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, for me, I think it's a bit different. I think we've got to not only teach sheep dogs to be better sheep dogs, we've got to mm-hmm. teach sheep when they need to be sheep dogs yes and we've got it and and sometimes that's only you know you can only scratch the surface because they're not interested in it you've got to be able to teach them the reality of hey hold on a second there are wolves there are predators there are people that will do bad things to you yeah and if you are not aware or prepared for those things you know it may never happen to you but if it does the consequence is going to be much worse and this part has been fascinating uh you know, I, I don't want to talk too much out of school, but we had a contract with the government department here in Australia and we were training uh, diplomats to go overseas and bureaucrats who were going overseas. And there was this perception that Australia is totally safe, so you don't have to worry about any of this stuff when you're here. You only have to worry about it when you go away. Mm-hmm. And you know, so many of the people we trained had horror stories of things that happened to them in Australia. Yeah. And, and you sort of yeah. go, that perception or that bias, that limitation yeah. of, I only have yeah. to worry about it in a dangerous context. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to talk about the Australian context, but you mentioned domestic violence earlier, yeah. you know, and particularly through COVID, we know domestic violence has yeah, shot up everywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
2: And it's massively underreported as yeah. is sexual assault and all these yeah. other things. Yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah.
2: Um, but realistically, I think that, you know, and, and it drives me crazy because it's so logical for people like you and I, I think yeah. the ability to defend yourself is, a, is almost a human right and a life skill. Definitely. And, and everybody yeah. should have that skill. Yes. Okay. But, you know, because we're not in a worry era and because yeah. most people have actually grown up in first world countries going, yes. it's yeah. wrong to do that stuff. You know, yeah. you shouldn't be doing this stuff. We've actually reduced the resilience of our global population tremendously. Mm-hmm. And we see it now through COVID, you know, I've yeah. spoken on so many podcasts and forums through COVID around the impact and the impact that's coming. Yes. And what's fascinating is that it was only, you know, let's call it 60, 70 years ago that yeah. we had to send people like you and I to war,
1: mm-hmm.
2: for, you know, literally yeah. in a battle of good and evil. Yeah. yeah. And, peop- and people were willingly going, I may never see my son or daughter again, yeah. But what we're fighting for is so much bigger. In COVID, what do we ask people to do? We ask them to stay home and watch Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. I I know I'm oversimplifying it because many businesses have hurt and people have hurt
1: through it. Yeah, but self-protection is inconvenient. We try to prepare a type of readiness, but you're not actually going to be ready, ready. It's going to be a time when, you know, you're going to be tired. You're going to be thinking about anything but being involved in that fun situation. That's when it's going to happen. You know, and I even have some that even happens to people in security. Often happens to people in security. It's not the time when, okay, I've got to watch this guy, i got to watch this guy, i got to watch this situation. It'll be that moment where, where you're just having a bit of a chat with the guy that's working on security with you. And then suddenly, bang, something's happened. Well,
2: worse than that, I mean, I've had friends, a good friend of mine, AJ Zyman, was killed in an uh, attempted robbery at a petrol station in South Africa. He was one of yeah. the best firearms guys I've ever seen. Mm. And he was a warrior through and through, but he was good when he wasn't ready. And, you know, so this is part of the conundrum. And I think, you know, just relating that concept back to the bigger picture. Yes. You know, this is for me where resilience has evolved to. It's this idea of if we have the ability to prevent things ahead of time, we Mm. should. But there's also many opportunities in things. And we become often so negatively centered around Mm. things that we miss the opportunities. Right. And and you know, this idea of opportunity centrism for me is is really something I think we need to hone in on. Because yes. we often and, and when you understand the psychology and the way the neuroscience works a little bit, we are wired to focus more on negativity. And we are more wired to focus more on threat, not on benefit and opportunity. Yeah, but, that's how we've
1: evolved, isn't it? That's how we survived as a species, to be honest. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah. you know, it's not it's not yeah. the greatest way to be living your life. No, 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 no yeah, but it doesn't suit this environment we're in now that we've built up around it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and you know, the other piece with that is it's,
2: it's, and I like to talk about it as a journey. It's yes. a continuum, mm-hmm. right? Some situations require tremendous resilience and toughness, mm-hmm. okay? and we will all face them at different times. Yes. Others require you to actually take a tough situation and turn it into an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And others require you just to do what you're told because you know what works, or there's laws or requirements for you to do things. So as we've expanded our our, our thinking and our tools around this idea of resilience, we've mm-hmm. been working on what I call the resilience journey, where we start with compliance because if you can't even do the things you have to do to not go to jail and yes. you know be <laughs> successful within the rules that we have to play in then how do you move to the next stage, which is looking at when those things don't work. How can I keep going, which is resilience, you know, the yes. toughness to persevere. Okay. And only when we can do those things, you know, play within the rules and be able to function when things go wrong, and we yeah. then look at the opportunity centrism. Right. But yeah. it's a cycle. It's not one, it's not that one's more important than another. No. It's we need to build the skill sets. Right. And, you know, it's it's really interesting to look uh, and I, I know we're having this interesting discussion of how martial arts and all these things segue with this. But you know, it blows my mind how many people are still stuck in this idea of reaction as opposed to proaction. Yeah. How many and, and, and we need both. You know, you need to yeah. have both skill sets because to your yeah. point, you know, you will never be ready for everything. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah.
2: but some of the most logical pieces. Uh, and you know, I talk a little bit about it in my book and we've got a whole bunch of online training programs on this stuff on our online academy. Mm-hmm. But when we, if we take a risk management view and I always like to start it personally and you go, what are the things that are most likely going to kill me and you?
1: Right.
2: And those things are cancer, heart disease and diabetes.
1: Yeah.
2: So, yeah. you know, yeah. what, what's the point of, you know, having the best spinning fly kick in the world? Yeah. Okay? You know, if if you're not managing
1: the associated health risks and mental health risks. Sadly, I've known some individuals who have taught and preached some of the best self-protection out there and a lot of things that I've built on and, and influenced me. And sadly, they've lost their lives to suicide. One of them was somebody who actually years ago when I interviewed him was talking about why are we working so much on worrying about interpersonal violence when some of the biggest risks come from within? Same people who are worrying about how to defend themselves against someone with a submachine gun is, are not going for a health check.
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, this is the other piece we're going, and, and I, we, uh, we didn't really get a chance to explore it in this chat. We'll, we'll definitely have to have another one. But, yeah. you know, this, this, this piece around morals and ethics, Yes, you know, it's 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 one of those pieces that, you know, if you look at almost every old school combative system, it had a warrior code to
1: it. Sure. And, yes.
2: And, and that's been eroded in the modern era now mm-hmm. because, you know, if you want to learn any technique, you can find 50 versions of it on YouTube just, you know, in yeah. five minutes. And you've yeah. got this inundation of, you know, experts all over the place telling you my system's better or my technique's better. It, yeah. It's not different in management consulting. It's not different in security. No. You know, everybody's fighting for their space. But yes. you know the truth of it is, if we are going to teach people to thrive, to be happy, to be successful, and safe, because they all <laughs> intersect, mm-hmm. we, we we actually need to start trying to change our mindset away from that of we're all competing and my way is better than your way, yeah, and actually yeah. have an open, honest approach. <laughs> and it's interesting; it takes a lot of maturity to do that. You know, yeah. for, for me, you know, I've got to the point now where I, I really do love training a broad spectrum of people, yes. different things. But there's, you know, and you've probably had this in your career too, and maybe some of your listeners have experienced this. There's fewer mm-hmm. things more rewarding than teaching somebody something that saves their life or enables them to avoid something terrible.
1: Yes, later on. absolutely. Yeah.
2: But, but the truth of it is most of the time and situational awareness is the best example of this in the world. You know, mm-hmm. people who develop great situational awareness don't even know how many bad things they've avoided just because they've been aware and people have seen them looking around. Yeah. I, th- I think the big piece and maybe just a few takeaways. Yes. You know, that and, and more than happy if your listeners want to come back to you around topics they'd <laughs> like us to explore. I, I think there's a few things we, we, and and I'll say the people that listen to your podcast are probably people <laughs> similar to us. You know, they're people that are interested in safety in martial arts, yeah. yeah. uh, yeah. etc. One of the things we've really got to be looking at is what are we doing in our lives holistically that yes. make us better, yeah. that make the people around us better, mm-hmm. and that honestly, it's, it's, it sounds up a trap, but it makes the world better. Yeah, And it starts with you. It starts with the individual. If you mm-hmm. can't even control that voice in your own head and drive what comes out of your mouth to be what you want it to be, You know, how are you going to be successful if we can't even, you know, we talk about risk, if we can't even maintain our own physical health, you know, what's the point of, to your point, what's the point of learning 50 different firearm disarms against various different submachine guns for civilians and and arguably even for law enforcement officers and, you know, even soldiers because, you know, there's so many skill sets we have to work on. You know, we fixate on these one or two things that seem, you know, sexy or attractive or interesting. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: yeah. Um, You know, that, that old story of starting with the internal journey, and it sounds yes. a bit Zen-like, but it
1: is. You know, yeah, but it, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's consistent, though. You'll find it across philosophies all over the world, won't you? So that if you talk about convergence again, it's that same thing. Just two things before we wrap up. One is that the interesting thing I found about resilience is that it's a stage further than just simply learning from mistakes. I mean, I, I'm very, very keen on learning from mistakes. I mean, I, I often say that pretty much everything I teach now, that is me, that comes under my banner, are mistakes I've made with my students that I've then been able to readapt and turn into lessons and it's become part of my training is there everything like everything from target familiarization through to order i teach certain things that all just has come from what my students have taught me without something pretentious that is what often i've you know i've said my students have shown me you're doing that wrong why because we're performing wrong you know this is not working when you tested it it's not working therefore we need to readapt it so that's me learning from my mistakes however resilience goes a stage further it seems to again it's very much about adaption, on that just a little bit. I appreciate we're running out of time. Sure. But that's just the penultimate question I, I want to ask sure. you. So I think there's a
2: few primary variables that are what we talk about when we're talking about this idea of resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a few terms that I think are really important. The first one is, you know, if we think of resilience, it's about bouncing back. It's about toughness. Yes. My point is bounce back better. What's mm-hmm. the point of just bouncing back? Because everything we go through, to your point, has a learning in it. Mm-hmm. And if we're not open to that learning, we've missed an opportunity. And, and this is sometimes the hard part for people to get. Like bad mm-hmm. things happen. Uh, and sometimes they, they happen if we take them with an opportunity centrism, we can learn.
0: Yes. And,
2: and, and I'll, I'll give you just a simple example. I had back surgery, lower back surgery two months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, last night was the first night I got back on the mat and taught in two months. Mm-hmm. And it's been a journey, but every single bit of my martial arts training has enabled me to prepare for this journey and to be successful. Yes. And my wife was teasing me, she said, Well, wow, you you're really winning at recovery. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually said to her, It's not that I'm winning at recovery. It's I was ready for this. I trained for this like the surgery like I was training for a fight. Yes. Yeah. And and I've used it as a test all the way through. Yes. And you know, it's the same in business. You know, when, you know, business isn't, you know, you've, you've run your own businesses and had to work in other people's, you know, it's not all rainbows and lollipops, No, but if you're not learning, then what, what, what's the point?
1: Because inevitably you're going to be doomed to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. I mean, this is just it. I mean, when people have physio, how often do they then continue to learn the lessons from the physio and then make that part of their regular training? This is what I always tried to do because my attitude was like, okay, I've had an injury that could be a perm that could be a regular weakness for me because you often get people who go i've got a bad leg it's about, and often the bad leg is something that could have been dealt with over a six month period and it's 20 years on and it's still the bad leg because the person hasn't made the physio that they've learned those exercises they've learned those exercises don't stop becoming good exercises now they're exercises that are there to strengthen whatever weakness you've 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 created or, or a way to compensate for the weakness that you've created in your in your joint your ligament or something like that so there's so much it's are talking about opportunism from that point of view well, opportunism is probably the wrong word but take but looking at that as an opportunity um you know that, that should be an opportunity to okay it's going to improve your training now because now you've got now an extra area to a training that that um, you didn't know about before, um, and and it's going to be important specifically to you because it's in relation to an injury that you've had. Um, and, and so yeah, yeah. and it's, it's that a,
2: idea of you know bounce back better. You know, yeah, what yeah, what can you yeah. take out of this? But I think the the other point that I think is really important with resilience to close this off yeah. is we often feel that we're helpless, mm-hmm. and people have this air of inevitability oh, you know, I lost my job, or I'm not good at this, or I'm not good at that, or, you know, they have all the luck and I don't, or any of those yeah, yeah. sort of things. And we miss – this is one of the things that drove me crazy in the world of risk management. We, we spend all this money and all this time building all these systems, uh, but then we have this inevitability that stuff's just going to happen. Yeah. And we, we, we have so much power to prevent, limit, or guard, or scare things that happen to us. Mm. and the way they happen. And if we own that, we get get to control our own destiny a lot more. And it's not to say that, you know, you can make things happen around you, but you can certainly impact the way they affect you and how you utilize whatever the learnings are from there. So that idea of, you know, being empowered to be able to proactively prevent or steer or guard things I think is really important. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily come with resilience because resi- resilience is, you know, can I just get through a bad thing or can I yeah. be tough enough to win a fight, et cetera. Yeah. We, we don't just want to win a fight. You want to win it a that, laugh. Yeah. That, that's the game we're playing at. And, and this is one of those things that blows my mind. If we had more time to talk, I've got so many examples of things that have happened to me over my career where you just go, wow, if I just looked at that differently, I would have had a way better outcome yes and part of the challenges with that is busyness we are so busy in the modern era we are information overloaded you know everybody yeah. has to do more with less quicker that yeah. we often don't have time to reflect and learn and i think that's part of the challenge now uh you know on a segue looking at information overload you know people often because uh, i speak a lot about trends and what's happening and people go gav where are you getting your information from and I just did a little exercise the other day and I went, okay, how do I start my morning? And I picked up my phone and I went, how many data sources am I using to create my situational awareness? And just to start my day, there were at least 20. So different news sites, you know, WhatsApp messages, signal messages, emails, social media, the the list just goes on. So sometimes more is not better because we can only take in so much. Yes. you know, um, you know, just a little martial arts quote, kind of close this off. Yes. Uh, you know, you know the old story that you know, before you can learn something new, you have to empty your cup. Yes, sure. Yeah. And I brought this up. Interestingly enough, you know, I've trained with so many different people, and one of the the guy who actually said this to me was uh, Christopher Davies. He goes by Shida Kim, who's a ninjutsu guy no. in the states a yeah. very controversial guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it was interesting because I landed up spending a bit of time with him. And it's like 25 years ago. Right. And, uh, you know, I was training all these styles. Like I was in the U S and I'd done 16 styles in three months and I was training yeah. six to 12 hours a day. And it was just like, I wanted to absorb all of this. Yeah. But it was kind of confusing because, you know, <laughs> you look at Win Chun and you go, Oh, that they, they've got a unique way of punching. It's different to boxing, but it seems to work. Mm-hmm. Um. And then you kind of go, well, who's better. And, you know, you, you can get bombarded between, you know, all these different disciplines. And he looked yeah. at me and he said to me, you know what, sometimes when your cup is full, it's not about emptying it. It's about stopping pouring. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it's true. You know, sometimes we've just got to stop pouring for a little bit. And, 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 and to be honest, you know, when I was there, I'd just come back from being a living student with Dennis Hanover, who's one of the toughest yeah. men in the world, yeah. you know, yeah. training with all the guys there. So when I got to his place, to Ashida Kim's place, I was like, to be honest, what am I going to learn from this little guy? Yeah. and you know some of the philosophy pieces we discussed were fascinating but i didn't get yeah. them at the time because all i wanted to do was fight better
1: <laughs> yeah sure yeah so yeah. so you know, to close it off i think it's a journey and wow. uh yeah, yeah. You, Jane. <laughs> and i never thought i'd get a quote from Ashida kim and especially from you gab that's that's amazing that's well, really I, amazing. I think that's one of the first times i've, I've ever quoted him. but you, you know
2: what it's yeah. one of those pieces that you know if you if you're open to learning from everybody you actually oh, can yeah, learn from absolutely. everybody and, yeah. you know, there's a whole story behind how that intersection with him came to be. Yeah.
1: And, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I mean, we'll maybe save that for another episode, <laughs> definitely, I think. But and, but yeah. So Thank you, so Jamie. The... I've enjoyed the chat. Well, the ultimate question I'm going to ask you is where can people find out about your business and your martial arts schools?
2: Sure. So, I mean, the martial arts schools, we've got schools in South Africa, one in Perth, um, mm-hmm. in Brisbane, where I'm at. So, again, that Krav Maga is our system. Yes. Yes. Um, You can look it up. We don't do that much social media or that much advertising, but feel free to look it up. Um, Google Brazilians. There's a Mm -hmm. ton of stuff there. We started running programs and courses and that stuff. Our business is uh, Risk to Solutions. So if you Google that, you'll see our business. But Mm -hmm. check out r2s.academy as well. We've got some really well-priced, cheap, short courses there. And I'll send you a bunch of links that you could put up for your listeners. But, you know, ultimately... Uh, you know, I've tried to do a few things and I hope people try, you know, if your listeners have found some value in what we're talking about. I've always nice. tried to give, and to your example, uh even with Ashina Kim, I've always tried to give respect where respect is due. And, to give, and reference back to the people who've given me knowledge. Super, so, yeah. you know, from my perspective, I've spent a lot of time refining things and I want people to use them. They're not there in theory. My yes. only request is just just give kudos to where these things come from because you know there's yeah. been a lot of work in evolving a lot of these concepts
1: superb yes
2: and you know it's not just about how good you can make yourself let's try and you know help the people who need the help and make yes. them safer better and thrive more so jamie thank yeah. you and i'm sure thank we'll you pick so much Gav.
1: just listening back to this interview there is so much to take away from gav's experience and insights Even with his extensive list of achievements and experience in the field, be it full contact competition or working in security, it's still quite humbling to see Gav give credit where it is due. Next episode, we will be looking at the broad idea of movement in martial arts and self-defence. And yet, we all will move. My other books, Rong Fu and Mordred's Victory and Other Martial Mutterings, are also available through Amazon as both ebooks and paperbacks, and I'm also selling signed copies. These works are collections of rewritten and re-edited essays I've produced over the last two decades. Rong Fu is a prequel to my Bullshitsu and the Fight to Make Martial Arts Work project, which deals with critical thinking in the history of martial arts. Mordred's Victory and Other Martial Mutterings covers the ten years I ran Club Chimera Martial Arts as a school nowadays I teach private lessons courses and seminars these are bespoke services that put you in charge of your martial arts journey I teach self-protection and martial arts cross-training you can train with me one-to-one or in a small group I count individual clients couple clients parent and child clients and various other combinations these can be taught face-to-face or virtually I also regularly teach clubs societies and associations nationally and internationally please go to clubchimeria.com the details. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes Stitcher, TuneIn, OwlTale, or whatever podcast platform you're currently using. If you could leave me a 5-star rating and a review, I would be really grateful. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and at Long Last TikTok. Facebook also has a members group in addition to the main business page, so please send in a request to join in with the training discussions and be a part of the wider CCMA community. I'm also uploading new content to YouTube there are various short videos vlogs and full video versions of some of these podcast episodes on there as well as filming of my various lessons so you get an idea of the different services that i provide please check out the services section on the youtube channel to find out more details on these individual services and suggestions for where you might want to take your training with me again please subscribe like share and leave a comment All favourable engagement on these platforms helps keep CCMA going. Now, I don't know where you listen to this show or watch or read any of the other free content I produce. My time to listen to podcasts usually occurs during dog walks or solo car journeys or when I'm undertaking some mundane task or other around my home. I watch videos when I'm in the kitchen. My reading time occurs when I'm in a waiting room or during a rest period at home. My guess is a good number of you will think nothing of buying a coffee or some other beverage when you're commuting or waiting or on your break. If you believe that the work I produce is worth the price of a coffee, then please click on support the show in this episode's show notes. Whether or not you choose to do this, my thanks to everyone who joins me on this Vagabond Warriors journey, and I look forward to sharing more travel notes with you all on the next show.